Part six of the Blue Review, Volume One, Number Two, edited by John Middleton Murray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Fresh Start in Music by Edward J. Dent. Music is in the melting pot, we are told nowadays. Was there ever a time when this could not be said? The great upheavals associated with the names of Monteverdi or Wagner may be perhaps considered to have been exceptional. Twenty years ago, say both revolutionaries and reactionaries, there was peace and tranquillity, steady progress and obedience to sound tradition. Get a reference to Dr. W. H. Haddow's Studies in Modern Music, Second Series, 1895, will show us that in those days it was necessary to make an elaborate apologia for the audacities and originalities of Dvorak, a composer who appears now to be remembered only by an occasional amateur performance of his chamber music. If we are conscious of a state of flux at this moment, the cause is to be sought elsewhere. The real change that has taken place in the last twenty years is the enormous development of musical intelligence in this country. The general public is more interested in music. It is even beginning to be interested in its young English composers. This interest has to some extent raised the standard of their work. Twenty years ago, the young English composer was an obedient and industrious lad who thought it the highest of compliments when his teacher, in a moment of cordiality, said that his work quite suggested Parry or Stanford. And far away in the distant heavens shone the star Brahms, who all were told to worship, though none could ever hope to imitate him. The young composer of today seems much more determined to be himself and himself only. If he is told that his works have a flavour of Vaughan Williams or Delius, he feels quite rightly that that is not what he is aiming at, however deeply he may admire either musician. His teachers are consequently beginning to find out that the old methods of teaching composition will not last much longer, and the problem of finding new methods is an extremely difficult one. Teachers of composition tend to fall into two groups, which we may call the academics and the modernists. The results of their instruction may be observed at any concert where our young composers' works are performed. If we accept the few who show a really strong individuality of their own, the crowd of the second rate either goes on writing well-constructed sonatas and symphonies of the Brahms period, and even earlier, or it gives us symphonic poems and fantasies, which sound very modern at first, but which, after a few years' time, if not sooner, are seen to consist merely of a string of journalistic clichés borrowed from the foreign composers in vogue at the moment. It is the teachers of the second class who constitute the real danger to our national music. The work of the second-rate academic is so dull that there is no risk of its having any influence on the public, and the first-rate pupil of an academic school is probably the better, if he is a real genius, for the careful training. As long as pupils are taught to think logically in terms of music, they are safe, and to grasp even the externals of academic sonata form requires a certain amount of musical reasoning. The modernist does not teach his pupils to think in sounds. Sonata form, he says, is obsolete, and he may very well be quite right on this point, 
but has he any constructive principle to put in the place of it if one can judge by such results as come to a hearing he apparently has not the general rule given to the young composer seems to be that he must let the shape of his work be determined merely by the story chosen for illustration and that logic may take care of itself as long as the orchestration is effective that is as long as the orchestral effects sound sufficiently like those which have been made familiar to the writers by strauss debussy or stravinsky the tendency of the age we are told is towards orchestral music pure line say the modern critics has had its day and the future is to express itself mainly in terms of colour for the further elaboration of this thesis the word post-impressionism will be found very useful having no knowledge whatever of the art of painting i must apologise for being compelled to restrict myself to the technicalities of music helmholtz adapted the word klangfarbe tone colour as a german equivalent of timbre quality of tone but i see no reason to suppose that the function of tone colour in music is therefore identical with that of colour in painting the survival of the word chromatic is proof that musicians of an earlier age had completely different views on the question we must not be misled by false analogies and picturesque phrases when critics tell us that modern music depends mainly on colour they simply mean that they themselves are satisfied with music that presents certain varieties of quality of tone obtained either by combinations of orchestral instruments or possibly even by combinations of notes sounded simultaneously on one instrument the rapid complication of the mechanical resources by which music is made audible has in fact dazzled many people so completely as to make them forget the absence of that logical sense of continuity of thought which is the only foundation of true music the tyranny of the instrument forms the subject of an interesting paper by ferruccio bussoni in a recent number of the german weekly marz the article bears the title neue anfang a fresh start if a young composer writes as he feels his teacher will be sure to tell him that he does not know how to write for the instruments look at the scores of wagner or strauss he will say and learn from them how to score effectively the result says bussoni is that every modern orchestral work presents us with the same complex of sounds the violoncellos are always trembling with exuberance of emotion the horns making the most of their natural hesitance of attack the oboes always breathless and embarrassed the clarinets always ostentatious of their voluble facility there is no room for originality of thought it is crowded out by the necessity of conforming to the conventional modern technique beethoven almost alone among modern composers ignored the requirements of the instruments and made them play what he wished poor old beethoven say the teachers of composition he was deaf and had no idea of orchestration the born creator of the future continues bassoni will first of all have to face the responsibility of setting himself free from all that he has learnt at school all that he has heard at concerts all that is reputed to be musical and when he has cleared his mind of all that is unnecessary he will have to bring himself into a state of ascetic and devout concentration 
which will enable him to listen to the secret voice within him and ultimately to arrive at the further stage of communicating this message to mankind all this is perhaps less revolutionary than it appears at first sight we are to give up considering the technique of instruments and simply write abstract music indifferent to the means employed for translating the signs into sounds beethoven's posthumous quartets i imagine show some sort of attempt to work on the lines indicated but the giotto of the musical renaissance as bassoni calls him will have to be a very much greater man than even beethoven and we may be pretty certain that his contemporaries will have a proportionately greater difficulty in understanding him in the meanwhile what can we ordinary mortals do towards turning bassoni's advice to some sort of account it is useless to set about finding a giotto but we can at least try to prepare the way for him the main thing is that we should concentrate our attention on thinking musically or grasping the principles of musical logic we must learn to insist on truth and sincerity in the works which are put before us we must learn to refuse all that is merely formal and traditional all that dreary waste of artificial art which charitable critics describe as very musical the sad equivalent of what in literature is classed as scholarly verse this does not mean that we must burn all our classics still less that we should throw in our lots with the party of programme music it is the writers of programme music more than any others who have fallen victims to the tyranny of the instruments let us learn all we can from the classics let us love them if we will but let us beware of reverencing them moreover if we are going to study the classics let us study them widely not confining our attention solely to Bach, beethoven and brahms and study them always with a critical eye never accepting any work as great merely because it bears the name of a great man in the case of composers a good case may be made out for a more restricted investigation of the music of the past verdi advised his pupils to take no notice whatever of modern music they were to work hard at fugue writing probably in a rather severe style and to study no classics apparently except palestrina and marcello the latter as being the best possible model for the declamation of the italian language the selection of these two composers the english reader may substitute bird and purcell if he likes shows us that verdi realized the same essential point which underlies bassoni's counsels of apparent anarchy we can perfectly well afford to make a bonfire of all our instruments for the best of all instruments will still be left to us the human voice even if we keep our instruments it is undoubtedly on singing that all musical education must be based whether for the ordinary amateur or for the beethoven of the future no one can enter fully into the understanding of music unless he can feel every musical idea from the point of view of the man who first conceived it and used his voice to express it the experience of controlling our lungs and vocal cords is the best possible training if rightly planned for the perception of the rhythmical continuity of sound which is the basis of music voices have their limitations we are told but have we considered what we might have achieved had we from the days of jubal devoted as much physical labour to singing 
as we have done to playing instruments, and as much intellectual energy as has gone into the development of speech. All instrumental music, except in so far as it is derived from the primitive tom-tom, is originally an imitation of singing, and it is barely two hundred years since the artistic supremacy of the voice began to be contested. It is the last hundred years that has brought about the disastrous virtuosity of the orchestra, the perfection of instrumental mechanism which has made the instruments less human and personal in their expression in proportion as they have become more elaborate in their technique. The primitive oboe, for instance, was the nearest approach that its maker could contrive towards an imitation of the human voice. The modern oboe claims a separate individuality and has stultified its improvement in fluency and in accuracy of intonation by an exaggeration of its characteristic deficiencies. Music has to be written for it, which will draw attention to its being an oboe, and not any other instrument. And in this way, the situation has gradually arisen that it is the overdevelopment of mechanical facilities which is blocking the composer's way to real originality. For the present, it is probably in the sphere of chamber music that we may hope for some attempt to make real progress. The stringed instruments are less tyrannical. They approach more nearly to the ideal of a normal type of musical sound which can be utilised, as Beethoven showed, for almost any idea which the composer wishes to express. The string quartet is almost the only form of music that has had an absolutely continuous history for two hundred years. Debussy and Ravel have found it as satisfactory a medium as Scarlatti for the expression of pure musical thought. It is often said that modern conditions are not favourable to its development, but the fact remains that the most modern composers, even if they employ the form but rarely, do at least continue to make use of it, and that section of the public which is seriously interested in music continues, though in small numbers, to listen to them. Until we have recovered the use of our own voices, it seems that it is from writers of quartets that we may most reasonably expect new departures, departures that are really new and that will lead along a road from which there need be no turning back. End of part six.